This is Fire Rescue One Side Alpha Podcast, putting fire service leaders in front of hot topics facing firefighters today. Now here's the executive editor of FireRescueOne.com and FireChief.com, Chief Mark Bashore. Dirty helmet syndrome. That's what we're digging into in this edition of the Side Alpha Podcast. But first, let's hear a very quick word from our sponsor. This episode of the Side Alpha Podcast is sponsored by the Homeland 6 Tactical Radio Straps. These custom radio straps feature extractor washable decontamination, superior comfort, and functionality. Learn more at Homeland6.com. That's HomelandSIX.com. Today's episode of the Side Alpha Podcast is all about why firefighters continue to make poor health and safety choices even when they know the consequences. Now, I've got to admit, I haven't always been the cleanest of firefighters, but that doesn't make it right. Today, uh, City of Petaluma, California, Fire Department Battalion Chief Chad Costa joins us to talk about the dirty helmet syndrome. With 20 years of fire service experience, Costa has worked in a variety of organizations, including the California Department of Forestry and Fire Protection, or CAL FIRE, as most of us know it. Uh, in rural districts, in semi-rural districts, and in a city environment. Uh, He is the Technology and Communications Battalion Chief and a Division Group Supervisor on California Interagency Team 5. Chad, thanks for joining us on the show for this topic. Hey, Chief. Thanks for having me. It's it's definitely a a topic that I'm excited to to talk about. This is something that is... uh, Seems to be seems to be on the forefront of of many and many agencies, you know, for good reason. So thanks for having me. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Thanks again. And it's uh, it's one of those things that uh, you know some of the uh, older folks, of course, scoff at the idea, and the younger folks, um, I think the majority of them take it serious. But we're going to talk about that generational gap and uh, what we may or may not have to do about that moving forward. You know, Fire Rescue One recently launched a special coverage series called Dirty Helmet Syndrome and the uh, uh, impact of the fire service culture on members. It's uh, an interesting visual if you think about that dirty uh, fire helmet representing a supposed badge of honor. And, and, you know, when you really think about it compared to some other um, occupations, if you think about nurses and doctors, do we see them pictured with blood and guts hanging off of their work scrubs? No. Uh, for some of the same infectious disease and contagion reasons uh, as the carcinogens many in the fire service tend to hang on to. So let's dig into that issue uh, just a bit here. Uh, Chief Costa, with everything firefighters know about uh, their increased risk of occupational cancer due to toxic fire ground exposure, I, I'm going to kind of ask you a multi-part question here. So, I mean, what do you think some why do you think some firefighters continue to engage in what is really blatantly unsafe behaviors like failing to don proper PPE? Um, you know, I see a lot of people not even strapping their their uh, uh, waist strap on, which lends to uh, compromises in how the entire ensemble works. Uh, wearing contaminated turnout gear at the station or on the apparatus uh, while they're in the cab. Um, why do we glamorize the dirty helmet or dirty gear yeah man uh, that this is uh 
This is a large topic, you know, a lot of things to consider, but ultimately I, all I can do is look back at myself and then kind of reflect back on, you know, my career. And I really do believe that a lot of it is culture, just like the topic states. So what I mean by that is when I started, you know, it was kind of like, hey, hey, kid, you know, your helmet looks like you haven't been to a fire or when I was a new captain, you know, I've had captains say things like, um, look at my helmet, you know, I mean, what, I guess you don't go to any fires and it's, it, it, it's kind of shocking and to hear that now and to think back and really look at dive deep into the whys. And so culturally we've created an environment where if you don't do it, then you're somewhat, you know, belittled or you're looked at as someone that has no experience. And it's, it's the ignorance of that is what, you know, brings me and you here today to talk about it. Because the funny thing about it is, is I look back and think about these individuals that said those things to me. And then I remember fires that I went to with those individuals and shockingly, the helmet had nothing to do with their actions on the scene, um, their leadership, their command decisions uh, many times didn't match the helmet. So. So why is that? You know, why is their helmet not matching their actions? Um, and, it, and it just brings me to the conclusion that culturally we've driven this into our troops that you aren't accepted or you're not a seasoned veteran or a salty veteran unless your helmet or your gear shows that. Um, I'm really proud of the fire service. I think every generation has hot topics that they bring to the table. We reap the benefits of many of those topics in, in our generation, but this is one that's got to be up in the top two or three of, of my generation Mental health, uh, I would say, is up there pretty high, um, and I'd put it at the same level as what we're talking about. You know, the dirty helmet syndrome, just taking care of ourselves, not only mentally but physically, and trying to beat down those cultures. And uh, lastly, I'll just close with: uh, I've had a, a pretty high-level fire chief of Cal Fire tell me um, on a fire we had this last summer. Um, he was talking about this topic and he, and he said like cancer is not cool was, was his kind of um, saying I will. And I really hope that that saying becomes prevalent in our service as we move on to the next generation, because it isn't cool. <laughs> and yeah. so the education of our members of, of, of what we're doing to ourselves by not taking care of our gear um, is really important as well. Yeah. Yeah. And I think back, uh, you know, you were talking in the beginning, I think back when I was coming up and the people that I was paying attention to, it was the same thing. And we were wearing leather helmets, you know, at, at the time that did not have the same, um, um, protections that the, that the Sam Houston's and whatnot have now. So, uh, they were just a leather frame. And it was absolutely a badge of honor to get that leather baked and have it hang off your hat. 
And I think back to those times, you know, and to have that dirt and soot just hanging off, I think back to those times and um, just, uh, I, I don't, I, I think it goes back to the cancer is not cool. I don't know what people saw in it other than the bravado. And it indeed did not necessarily translate into great firefighter performance. I mean, even though that was the people we were looking up to at the time. So, yeah, it's uh, it's a definitely a culture. And I appreciate your, your comments on that. So how how does the role of that fire service culture play into this, both, you know, how we got here and and how we work to change that culture? What is it that we got to do to to start changing that culture? Yeah, I, I think we're doing, you know, honestly, I, I think we're doing it. Um, we're sitting here talking about it on a pretty, pretty high level platform. And um, I think that's that's a good sign that that we are addressing it. So just again, circling back to my agency, uh, we have, you know, a decom policy within the last year that's gone into play. We have soaps and wipes and um, procedures that are in place so that uh, post incident, you know, all members get washed down, all members, uh, engine companies or truck companies go out of service, respond, go back to their stations, switch out gear, um, get cleaned up, wipe their faces off. There's, there's a lot of really cool things happening. Um, I think it's just now, um, through attrition a little bit because some of it you're never going to get rid of culture. Um, culture, you know, is what it is. Uh, but through policy procedure and through leadership and through people like the, 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 the chief that I was just talking about, um, I, I, I firmly believe just like mental health, you know, in, in our departments and how we've created peer support teams, it just takes time. But I, I do, think that we are doing the right things and we are educating our members and we are showing that um, this is this is an important topic and cancer is not cool, you know. So just continue down that platform. And I think if we look back to you know, the end of our the end of, you know, say my career, 10, 15, 20 years from now, um, I'm really hopeful that that it won't be so much of an issue. Yeah. And, I, you know, and I think we kind of talked about the culture and the different generations. And that's something I wanted to ask you about the, um, you know, is it really going to take that long? Is it going to take some of the current generation, you know, we're in pick a letter generation X, Y, Z, A, B, C. Is it going to take that next generation getting into some of those higher level ranks and positions uh, to, to frankly break that culture? Is that maybe what it's going to take? Oh, man, you, you know, Chief, I, I believe every organization is a little bit different uh, geographically sure. and individually, but um, I want to I'm, I'm leaning towards answering the question. Yes. That being said, uh, <clears throat> I'm seeing younger generational uh, people promoted and moving up into higher levels. Um, someone like myself uh, has been able to or my counterparts at the battalion level have been able to instrument some of these changes recently. So yes, to answer your question, it's going to take a while across the nation. Um, I can't speak for obviously all the departments, but some of this stuff is going to take some time because it's so deep rooted into us that, you know, we, 
we need to have, you know, a helmet that shows how many fires we've been to or um, gear that looks like, you know, it's been worn for a hundred years, even though in FPA says 10 years, we should, you know, turn it in. Um, so, so yes, I, I, I hate to say, I want to be optimistic and not a glass, glass half empty individual, but realistically, I, I do think it's going to take some time now. Hopefully there's enough people that are listening to this in leadership roles. Well, that doesn't mean that you have to be a chief. That's not what I mean. I just mean whether informal or formally to say, Hey, stop for a second. Think about what you're doing. You know, yeah. you don't take your gear, your, your, your dirty gear home um, and let your kids play around with it. So why are you doing it yourself kind of a thing? Yeah. Yeah. You know, and you're right. It doesn't have to be, this doesn't have to be addressed to a chief, um, you, but chief do have to be that leader who not only sets the policy and the procedure and, um, but reinforces that every day. It can't just be a one-off. Okay. The policy's out there now live with it. Um, you know, I, myself yesterday, on a fire uh, here uh, where I am in Florida, um, you know, our staffing is, is low uh, from time to time. And in this particular case, I was personally washing down the firefighter with our uh, uh, decon line. So I think it takes those chiefs to not only write the policy, but live the policy. And I think if, uh, if more of us can do that and more of us can be a part of uh, the process um, you know, is everybody going to have clean cabs? No. Um, is, is everybody going to be able to um, have all of the pieces that are out there? No. But I think that we can do more and more every day to put the right, not only tools, uh, physical tools, but the leadership tools in people's hands. And I appreciate you being with us uh, today to, to talk a little bit more about that. You know, and we we sometimes struggle to get everyone doing the right things for the right reasons. Uh, what can officers do to, to get their crew, so get their entire crew on the same page, particularly if their members are um, some of those older ones or some of those who have that entrenched culture and pride of the dirty gear look, uh, while others are focused on safety? What can those officers do to get everybody on the same page? Yeah. <laughs> It's um, I'm sitting here listening to you speak about your your experience and and uh, that's that's awesome. I think there's a there's a bigger picture here and what you're talking about is leadership from the top and how leading by example others typically follow. Um, so when you bring that to any topic that we could talk about all day long and for many days about that's that's darn near the top of anything. So no policy or procedure is going to win unless the troops are in, are uh, on board. Um, and I would say to dial it down a little bit, the most impactful thing that I've seen on this specific topic is the individual that I spoke of earlier that as a new captain, I was like, um, I don't want to say you know, put down, but it was kind of like, wow, you're, you know, look at that helmet. Like, you know, look, you, you obviously don't go to any fires. The same individual today um, has a shiny brand new helmet. Uh, and I think that's where 
the most impactful things are going to happen in your organization is when those individuals that are the ones that believe that this was the culture and what needed to happen start changing um, your crews. So we're talking about the fire, you know, officer level when, when those officers start leading by example and start giving the individuals the why, why, have I changed? Why do I look at this differently? Why do I believe this policy or procedure is is important? And they start emulating that. Um, typically, those informal leaders and followers, you know, in the in the other ranks, uh, fall in line. Um, so I think it's, it's to summarize. First off, people that are impactful in the organization, whether informally or formal, need to change, and and then they need to be able to articulate the why um, and sh and the why is so important in today's generations um, the why is pretty simple on this one uh, statistically we can very easily with some google searches see why um, but but yeah like you mentioned in your example that that's what's got to happen throughout the organization yeah and i love the get to why uh, you know, i talk about and, and teaching, it, it's, it's across the board. It doesn't matter whether it's this issue or not, like you said, but almost everybody knows uh, what we do. Most people know how we do it. Very few know why. Now, like you said, they can pick up the phone, they can pick up as far as, you know, smartphone, or they can get online or whatever, and they can see why. But do they understand why and that to me is what i think our officers need to work towards is not just uh, being able to tell people why but explain it and then get them to where they can explain it to the next person and the next person and so on so it's a great uh, um, a great analogy that uh, i appreciate you bringing up that really getting to why is the uh, um, crux of what those officers can do to get everybody on the same page. So, yeah, it's going to be tough. To break. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, I just, yeah, you say it's going to be tough, and I kind of chuckled because um, it is tough. Uh, and and it's crazy that we're sitting here debating it in some sense of, I mean, it just, I, I wanted yeah. to shake my head because I'm, it, it's baffling to me that that we, the fire service has created this environment that we put ourselves in harm like we don't do that enough right so so we're putting ourselves in harm's way to have this badge of honor to sh say that we you know just slayed the dragon um how about we focus how about these officers how about we focus on your actions and your decision making and your um, command presence and all those other things that we every day try to become better at and teach and train. Um, what if what if a firefighter just uh, dialed in his skills and got the hose off the engine and stretched and had the right nozzle patterns and gallons per minute and all these type of things that really are the things that make the difference and also really show who out there is um, skilled and good at this job. Like it's crazy to me that we would take something so 
I don't know, non-important to the reality and, and make that the judge of whether we're good at this job or not. It's, it's, it's really unfortunate, but it is so deep rooted that you're right. I think it's going to be hard to, uh, to move away from it. Yeah. It's going to be hard to break the culture. There's no question, but, um, you know, I, I suspect we'll get there in time. It's just a matter of whether it's going to take uh, a generation like we talked about or not. So um, we'll we'll keep working this thing. For sure. Let's take a brief moment to hear a word from our sponsor. Homeland 6 tactical radio straps are heavy duty, yet lightweight and 100% made in USA. These are the world's first custom radio straps made from military-grade nylon that's used in ballistic vests. Unlike traditional leather, they're also extractor washable for pathogens like COVID-19 and carcinogen decon. These are making leather straps a thing of the past. Homeland 6 tactical radio straps are available in multiple colors with adjustable regular and extra large sizes, even with reflective or glow-in-the-dark patterns and custom text. New customers can receive a discount on their first order of tactical radio straps or accessories at homeland6.com. That's homelandsix.com. Um, Chief, what's the role of training in all this? Is that where the stage is set, or is it at the kitchen table, or is it in the chief's office, or in risk management? I mean, I, I suspect we can all do something, but where is the stage set to really make a difference in this? Yeah, it's a good question. Um, again, I I always try to just look back at, at my experiences in my own organization. I, I that's that's how it's that's how I kind of bring it back to my thought process on this question. And so specifically um, in our organization and how it kind of rolled out is it seems like in the fire service and I'm, I think you would agree that that most things seem to start at the kitchen table. Um, it's kind of and I know we're using that as an analogy, but it's kind of the place in that a lot of these things grow roots and and really expand and and sometimes that kitchen table is just sitting around with the chiefs and and either having lunch or dinner or just talking um but so so i think it starts um at the kitchen table because ultimately that's where the buy-in is and that's where uh the rubber meets the road but with with as we move up the chain and we talk about training and and the chief officers roles for us training was really important because we've rolled out a new procedure and a policy and procedure on on decon and there's expectations of when to do it and how to do it and um, so it was really important for training to roll that out as far as okay um, this is important to us this is the why and here's the how so from the kitchen table and the chief officer perspective, I think that's more the, the why um, and, and the how comes from, comes from training. So I think yeah. they all on this, in this topic, they all kind of combine to, uh, to, to either be successful or, or potentially not. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think uh, you're, you're right. And the kitchen tables where, a lot of stuff happens, right? I mean, that's where um, um, a lot of the things that we really get done, get done. And for me at the chief's level, it ends up being 
lunch, either at, at <laughs> frankly, at some restaurant or at a kitchen table, at a firehouse, whatever, that's where, for whatever reason, we tend to get a lot of stuff done. Uh, firefighters like to eat, and um, the kitchen table, whether it's the metaphoric kitchen table or the reality, does seem to be where a lot of things get done. And sure, we got to have the policies, but uh, uh, get training engaged, and uh, I like it. I like the kitchen table. Yeah. What? Uh, it just to add a little bit there. Yeah. You know, I it. I'm sure you're. You know, listening to you. Um, I'm sure we all can learn from your style and for you as, as, uh, as an upper management, you know, leader of an organization to say that you, you know, engage in those opportunities with your troops and, and, and to say that you have success with that. I hope everybody on this call is, is listening to that key piece um, because you didn't become successful at that because you're just a chief. You became successful with that because of who you are and your troops must, um, must, must believe you. Um, they must respect you and they must, must value your opinion on this topic, this specific topic that we're talking about. I'm sure there's many, but, and I think that's key as well is, is the kitchen table only works if there's, uh, respect across the table and if you're successful and you truly care about your people um, when you sit down at that table whether you're a formal or an informal leader um, and you speak to this topic you're going to have more success so so I, I it's it's really refreshing you know chief to, to hear you say that you've been pretty successful at that and that's what you do and you value that and and to put it up on pretty high on your level as being a su successful tactic is is really important and something that I think all of us that are striving to be in your position or in any chief officer role need to really value and and take to heart sure. and yeah. uh, be successful I, at. I appreciate that. It's you have got to get out of the office. Uh, yeah. The chief tries to be a chief from the office all the time is a chief that's destined for failure. Um, and it's just not, uh, you got to be in the office to do budget all morning this morning, nothing but budget. Uh, you know, it is what it is. You got to do what you got to do, but then you got to make time to get out yep. and, um, and, and be part of this solution, not uh, just a, uh, not just the person who's making rules. So what tips can you provide uh, or, or offer to uh, help with that buy-in beyond what we've just talked about. So, you know, the members that uh, are out there uh, beating the feet every day on the medical calls and the uh, all the other uh, stuff that they run, all the all-hazard stuff they run, and every once in a while, yep, we run a fire. How do we get that buy-in? What, what kind of tips can you give people to uh, keep people focused in that safety and health uh, environment? The biggest thing I can say is just start somewhere. Um, <clears throat> too many times, and I've done it many times. Our organization does it. You know, we try to let's let's switch switch a little bit off topic and go to like a technology type topic. Well, what do we do? What do we do in the fire service? Many times is we we have all this cool technology that we all need, and it's going to be great for our department, and we try to throw it all on the table at once. 
and it gets it loses a lot of our members. They fall behind. They feel overwhelmed. Um, so so uh, and getting back on the topic, I, I think you got to start somewhere. And whether that be just wipes, like little things like um, wipes in the engine. What do you mean wipes in the engine? Like, what do you need those for? Well, I don't know. Maybe you should wipe that you know soot off your face or the caps grabs it after a fire and and starts cleaning his arms and whatever is ex- was exposed um i i don't have like the magic answer but what i do what i what i can speak to is what typically works and a lot of times it's it's just starting somewhere and then those formal and informal and really more the informal leaders of your organization doesn't mean it's a red hat doesn't mean it's a white hat just somebody in the department might be the senior firefighter um doing something and people catch on and people go oh chad just um that's he just got sprayed down after that fire like why is he doing that did did he get something on him or what is that and they ask the question and you just say, no, it's, it's, I'm getting all this crap off me. Yeah. Um, so, so start somewhere and, and start making that change and, and let it, let it kind of permeate throughout the organization. Yep. Yeah. And, you know, we've talked quite a bit here about where we are on this issue today. Um, and you know, at some point talks cheap. Um, some point we've got to talk about the D word. Uh, whether we like it or not, uh, if people refuse to um, change that culture and refuse to do what's right, at what point do we start talking about discipline? When does discipline become involved from your perspective as a battalion chief in this uh, in this situation? Well, yeah, the D word, right? Um, so first off, first off, before we even get or before I would even get to that point of even considering, let's make sure that we have good policies and procedures in place. Let's make sure that we have all of the the um, cleaning products or you know whatever it is uh, accessible to all the members. Let's make sure that our training um, has been rolled out. The why has been given, uh, and then at that point you got to pump your brakes a little bit and, and, and see how it, see how it permeates throughout your organization and, and get out there and see what's happening. I don't think we can expect on this one, an immediate hundred percent. Um, what's the word I'm looking for? Like immediate hundred percent compliance. Sure. Uh, it, it, it's okay. You know, it's okay. Like I know my organization doesn't have a hundred percent compliance. I know I don't at this point, but if I have 50, I'm, mo- I'm getting somewhere. And yeah. then after some time, and I don't have, you know, I can't give you a magic answer of some time, but, but there's got to be a point where you say, okay, we've done everything we can to, to make this change. Um, and now we got to start holding people accountable to those changes. And um, gosh, do we really have to get to that D word? Yeah, I, I, I guess maybe someday we will. Um, but but we also have to understand from leadership perspective, this is a big change and, and it's going to take some time. And I, I hate, I hate to think that it, that we need to discipline because we don't immediately have a hundred percent buy-in. 
Does that make, I, I don't know. Maybe no, I'm waffling no, here it, a little bit. It, but. it makes sense. I mean, you don't, the, the hammer isn't the only tool in the toolbox. And I think sometimes, you know, everybody, not, not everybody, but sometimes a lot of people want to go to the hammer um, when, uh, you know, maybe a clamp is the right tool. Maybe you don't need the hammer every time. So I absolutely understand what you're saying. Uh, I think that we don't want to discourage people's enthusiasm to fight fire, uh, but we also don't want them thinking that cancer is cool. Right. So that that's um, that's our challenge. Yeah, and you're and you we're ta- what are we talking about here? We're talking about the health and safety of us. Yeah, it's this isn't a policy or procedure in in place um, for some something else, uh, uh, the city or the district or whatever. This is this is about us, and I and I think when you get to that point where you feel like you've done all the everything you've done, and you feel like you still have that individual that that doesn't care about themselves, I mean, it's in some ways part of me is saying, well, that's their loss, I guess. Um, the other side of me is saying is that you can't allow someone to, to, um, lead at least, at least, you know, your newest members that are coming in. Now they're looking at this individual and saying, well, he does it, you know, so there's gotta be a line there at some point where you just say, Hey, you know, this is the policy, this is the procedure. And our expectation is that you follow it. I just, I just truly believe on this topic that if you get, you know, from top to bottom, as many people as you can on board, and hopefully there's some informal leaders in there that that really change the organization. It'll take some time, but we'll look back on this, you know, 20 years from now, and I really do believe that it won't be such a hot topic. Yeah, yeah, and do um, you think we'll ever get to that day where a clean helmet is the badge of honor? Oof. Here's the problem. With that, at least um, I'm going to spitball here a little bit, but <laughs> I, I'm going to say no, and 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 I hate to say that, but here's why. In in order for us to have a badge of honor, um, that we need to have something that's measurable, and so when you hear about the the save or the grab, and and you stand up in front of the city council and you get you know, a commendation from your chief or your city or district, whatever it is. Um, we don't all um, either get those opportunities. You know, we don't get those opportunities very often. Many of us, um, I'm sure there's plenty of people that listen to this that go to way more fires than I do. Um, we don't get many opportunities, you know, to to kind of show everyone, you know, our skills and our education and and our experience. And so it seems kind of cheap, but it's kind of really easy to go to a training burn and melt your helmet or get it dirty and make it look like you've been to a lot of fires. So, so I, I don't think we'll ever get to that point. I hope we do. Um, Because it's just so difficult to really earn those badges of honor in other ways. And it seems like the helmet and gear is just an easy way for someone to project, um, you know, unfortunately it's ignorance, but um, yeah, does that kind of make sense? It's, it's an, it's an easy, 
quick way to like make people unfortunately um, look like they're something that they may not be. And so, so I don't think so a hundred percent, but the more of us that, that, that look at this as, okay, I don't really care what your helmet looks like. I care that you're here, you're healthy. And actually I care how you actually act and actually um, carry out your responsibilities on that fire. That's what I, that's what I want to praise you for. Not that your helmets, you know, dirty or your face is dirty. And I'm going to encapsulate in our first takeaway from this, what you just said in this and that is that we need to worry more about doing the right things at the right times for the right reason instead of worrying about badges of honor. Yeah. We, we, we've been talking with City of Petaluma, California Fire Department, the town Ted Costa, about the dirty helmet syndrome. Uh, here's some of the takeaways from our talk. Uh, we talked about peer culture uh, and how peer culture glamorizes uh, the dirty grime uh, which doesn't necessarily translate into firefighter performance outcomes. So certainly uh, our experience has been it doesn't necessarily translate into firefighter performance outcomes. Um, we talked about the officer that Chad uh, worked with who drove home the message that cancer is not cool. Uh, then we talked about making sure that as an organization you have a good leadership that sets the policy, has the right procedures, and then shows leadership. Uh, develops peer support teams if you have that available uh, to make sure that um, as people are going through the things uh, to to change the culture of that dirty helmet syndrome, they may need those peer support teams to help them through that. Um, then we talked about, again, doing uh, the right things for the right reasons and leading by example again, and uh, both formally and informally, understanding that you don't have to be a chief to lead this example. Uh, everybody needs to to uh, uh, finally or ultimately get to why. Uh, we know what we do, we know how we do it, but why do we do it? And not just reading about it, truly understanding the why. And we talked about focusing on actions, decision-making, and command decisions, and less on having dirty gear. Uh, then we get talked in uh, the, the confines of the kitchen table and how important the kitchen table and the training environment is um, to uh, changing this culture and how the crews need to be able to believe, respect, and value uh, the, uh, the leaders. And the leaders in turn have to believe, respect, and value the opinion of the troops. Um, and then when we talked about things that officers can do and crews uh, can do to get, get going, uh, the best advice Chad could give, uh, and it's great advice, and that starts small. If you just got to start with the little things and get some soot wipes so that you can wipe that off your skin or off the steering wheel or off the, the radio microphone, whatever it is, start with that if that's what it takes. And then we talked about uh, the potential of discipline and how before you have to go to the hammer, think about uh, what other methods you have to get your point across. Do you have good policies and procedures? Do you have the right supplies and equipment for people to be able to use? And most importantly, goes back to what we talked about a few minutes ago, does everyone know why? Then we talked about the uh, final piece there about will we ever get to the clean helmet being that badge of honor? And um, 
I encapsulated for you. I'll do it one more time. Chad's response, and I'm paraphrasing here. Chad's response was, let's worry more about doing the right things at the right times for the right reasons instead of worrying about badges of honor. Chief Costa, I want to thank you for joining us on the Side Alpha podcast. Is there anything else you'd like to add? No, Chief. But thanks for your time. Uh, such an important topic, but I, I, I'll i just leave with this. Um, I'm very proud of the fire service. I'm very proud of my organization for for taking this on and starting with, you know, policies and procedures and training. We are starting somewhere. And I hope that um, for those of you out there listening, um, if you, there's any takeaway that that point of badges of honor is is probably number one on my list. But number two is start somewhere. And um, if, if we can just do that, you know, we're winning and uh, at least a step in the right direction. So thank you. Thank you for giving me a, an opportunity to to kind of share my thoughts and, and your paraphrases were perfect. Absolutely. Chad, I appreciate it. Maybe maybe that's what we'll title this. Uh this podcast is start somewhere. So I appreciate your time. Thanks again uh, for joining us, Chief. And I want to thank all of our listeners. We've been talking with Chief Chad Costa about the dirty helmet syndrome. Thanks to our listeners for staying with us. I'm Mark Bashore, executive editor for FireRescue1.com and FireChief.com. Follow us on FireRescue1.com for the latest news and information affecting the fire service worldwide. Have a great day. Keep safe. Stay smart and take care.